Jesus has had a busy day of teaching and preaching and healing people, and, uh, and he goes out, he's at a house, probably Peter's house, and he just decides to head out the back of the house and sit down on the beach. He just needs a little bit of time to reflect and refresh, and as usually happens with Jesus, the crowds just gather around him, and they are just hungry for more teaching and more of what he has to say, and so Jesus sees these crowds, he goes out into a boat, and he begins teaching people. Uh, back on the shore. And the, and the tradition has long held that there is a cove of parables, that, uh, that there's an area on the north side of the Sea of Galilee where it's kind of the, the structure of it forms, the geography of it forms kind of an amphitheater. And it, uh, tradition holds that's where the Sermon on the Mount took place, and that's also where this parable of Jesus standing in a boat and teaching the people took place. And Jesus delivers my favorite um, my favorite section of the entire uh, Bible, the parable of the sower, Matthew 13. That's where we're going to be today is Matthew 13. And Jesus begins teaching the people, and he says, a certain farmer went out, a certain farmer went out, and he went out sowing seed. And some of the seed, heads up here, I'll try and get some back to the cheap seats. <laughs> some of the seed fell among the path, and the birds came and ate that seed up quickly before it had any chance to grow. Well, he said, there's some other seed that fell. I promised I'd get some back to my good friend Terry Walters way back in the back. So I told I want to deliver. I want to be a man of my word. And he says, some seed fell among the rocky places, and the soil was too shallow. So it grew up quickly, but it didn't have the root to sustain the growth. Well, other seed, you know it's coming, don't you? Other seed came, and one back for the booth. Oh, man. Oh, boy. I'll try another one. Oh. Some, some seed was intercepted on its way back to the soil. No, this seed fell among the thorny places. And as it tried to grow up, it was competing for the nutrients in the soil, and the, seed, the weeds choked it out. The thorns choked it out. But other seed fell among the Eric Snodgrass good soil back here. Here you go. We'll give you guys a little bit here. That fell among the good soil, and it produced a crop of 160, even 30 times what was sown. And then Jesus makes a statement. He says, he who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear, which is kind of a way of saying, listen up, people, there is a deeper meaning to this. And if you're willing to investigate a little bit, you will understand the deeper meaning of the parable. And then he just moves on. He doesn't explain what he's talking about. He just moves on and tells some other stories. And in Matthew 13, the way Matthew records it is he, co- he records the disciples coming up to Jesus and asking some questions. What's probably more likely the case is that Jesus told a set of parables pretty much without explaining all of them, and then after he got out of the boat and he was done teaching, the disciples then came up and he probably explained several of the parables for them at that point. But Jesus tells this story, and he says, he who has ears, let him hear, and he moves on. It was uh, last fall, and uh, we have a, uh, an understanding, if you will, in my house, where uh, if we go out shopping for the day... And, uh, and I have been good, you know, if, uh, 
If I haven't complained a lot about the shopping, I've taken care of the kids and I've pretended like all the shirts don't look the same to me and things like that. You know, if, if I've been good, then sometimes my reward at the end of a day of shopping is we'll go to one of the big box stores, you know, like one of the big home improvement places, and I get to go walk around there. Is anybody with me? Anybody got that? Okay. And, uh, and as many of you know, I'm not the handiest guy in the world. And so it's kind of a neat opportunity for me to get to go and, you know, man up and, and you know, get to go in, in, in a man place and stuff like that. And so I'm pushing the tool through the aisles and, you know, gra- or pushing the cart through the aisles and I'm, you know, grabbing all the tool thingies off of the shelves and putting them in the cart, you know, and I'm asking really good questions of the people who work there. Like, you know, I'm thinking about doing some wiring at the house and, you know, I was going to try to figure out how many gigawatts I ought to use when I do the replacement on the flux capacitor. You guys got the tools I need to take care of those kind of things here? Well, I was at, uh, at Lowe's one night last fall, and, uh, and I had gotten through, you know, pretending to actually have any ability to be there whatsoever, and I was up at the register paying for what I was purchasing. And, uh, and I was looking over at the other register. There was a lady paying there, and I was just, I was kind of curious on what was happening. And I'm watching this, and the lady pays at the register, and then she hands the cashier something, almost more throws it at her, and then walks out, which was kind of an odd thing for me. I wasn't really quite sure what was happening. And I looked at it. What I realized was it was a little booklet that she had handed to her, and it looked kind of like a crumpled up $100 bill which of course got my interest even more, but it turned out it was a booklet, and she starts opening up, and the lady at the cash register just has no idea what it is. So she calls her manager over at this point to ask about it. Now, I'm doing everything I can to delay so I can hear what's going to happen here because I'm, I'm figuring out what's happening, and I want to know the rest of the story. So, you know, I'm like making up questions to ask, like, well, t- tomorrow I think I got a nail, and I got some wood I got to put it. Do you have anything like that would bang it through there or anything like, you know, do you have something that could, ma- I don't know, I didn't see any in the store. Do you have any of those kind of things? Well, I'm trying to delay this. And the manager comes over and she says, what is this? I don't understand. The manager says, oh, this is called a Bible track. And then she said these words. She said, and sometimes Christians, and then she saw I was watching and she lowered her voice to something I couldn't hear, explained a little bit more and then said, I'll just talk to you later and moved on. And I tell you what, those words absolutely haunted me. What was going to come next? She had this Bible track, and she said, and sometimes Christians. And I have to tell you, I hear my heart on this. I'm not trying to rip Bible tracks in general, okay? I, I don't necessarily think it's the most effective tool of evangelism in the 21st century, but I know that some of us in this room may have come to faith through ways like that. What I do know is this, to hand somebody something to walk away, to not have a relationship there, to not at least offer the opportunity to answer some questions and talk through things, is not quite what Jesus had in mind in Matthew 13. So if you will, flip in your Bible to Matthew 13. We're going to start at verse 18. And what Jesus has done is he's taught in parables, and the disciples have come to him and said, what are you talking about? Why do you always teach the people in parables? And Jesus says, listen, some people are only ready to hear just a good story. And so I teach in stories so that people sometimes, if that's all they want to listen to, they can. But if they want to look at a deeper meaning, they can learn a whole lot about what a relationship with me might look like. So in Matthew 13, verse 18 is where we pick it up. Jesus says to the disciples, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does does understand it, 
I'm sorry. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Now, it's important to point out here that farming in the first century Palestinian world is very, very different from ours. Without, uh, you know, complex machinery and all of those kinds of things, fields were often planted and then plowed afterwards. So here's a farmer who goes out and he plants seed and he doesn't quite know what's going to end up being good soil and not good soil because he goes through and he plants the whole field. Then he tills it up later. Okay, and oftentimes roads and pathways would crisscross fields. So sometimes you'd go, you'd plant the seed, you'd till up the whole field, and then people would just start walking through because it was the quickest way to get from one place to another, and the ground would get hardened, and those areas just couldn't grow because people were walking through and creating a path through the middle of the field. So the birds would come and they would eat the seed away. Now, this probably won't come as a shocker to you, but uh, I was a bit of an obnoxious teenager, and... Uh, yeah, I hear the grumble. Um, <clears throat> I was a bit of an obnoxious teenager, and, uh, and I had a friend. I was heading into my sophomore year of high school, and I had a friend named Jake. And Jake was somebody that I was constantly trying to get to go with me to church. And, uh, and to be honest, I'm not sure why he would have wanted to. He certainly wasn't seeing a lot of Christianity lived out in my own life, unfortunately, at that point. But I kept thinking, man, Jake is my best friend. If I can just get him to go to church with me and I'll have another Christian friend that I can really do life with, it'll be great. And, and Jake came a few times. But I was able to get Jake to come to a week of, of high school church camp with me that summer. And I was absolutely excited. I was just praying, God, please pierce his heart. Please speak into his life. It would be great if Jake could hear the message of you, even for the first time here. So Jake goes with me to this week of camp, and, and, and it happens. God, God becomes apparent to him in ways that he had never had before in his life. And Jake makes a decision that week to come to Christ and makes a decision to get baptized. And so we call home to his dad and we say, hey, you know, Jake's made this really cool decision. We would, uh, we would love to just do it here in the pool if that's all right before he comes home. And his dad said, you know, I don't know about that. It could just be a decision that was made kind of in the heat of the moment, maybe an emotion-based decision. I think we should wait till he gets home and we should talk about it a little bit more. And so Jake went home back to football two-a-days and I went to uh, Florida to help a relative move. And when I got back, I tried to bring up the conversation just a little bit. And Jake wasn't really interested in it anymore. It had become obvious that he had gotten back into an old group of friends and an old group of ways and, and all of that kind of stuff. And it was the first time in my life where I had really seen what it's like when the message about Christ comes into somebody's life, but birds, but, but Satan comes and steals it away before it can ever grow. And I still wonder what would have happened in Jake, Jake's life if that hadn't been the case. Well, Jesus continues on, and he explains this in verse 20. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly fails away. Now again, remember, since, since fields were often plowed after the fact, there's no way for a farmer to necessarily know what seed is going to fall on soil that's going to be just uh, too shallow and not able to sustain growth and things like that. Well, this one, this soil, is unfortunately the one that we see all too often in youth ministry. See, we work so hard to create a worship service each week and to create retreats and events and CIYs and camps and all these different things that people's lives can be changed in. 
We try to create this environment where God can speak into a student's life and their lives can be changed forever. And I got to tell you, I love it uh, any week that we have baptisms here. That's the kind of thing that really gets me excited. That's why I got into ministry in the first place is to see life change happen. And I love it. I love it when I get to see adults get baptized. But I got to tell you, okay, I just have to tell you, when you see a student get baptized, there is something incredible about it. Okay, because when a student comes to faith, everything is changed in that student's world. I mean, they just come back from events and things like that with a passion. They come back with, on fire, ready to go and make a difference. You know, and it's like, I'm going to tell everybody in my family about my faith. And I'm going to go and I'm going to tell everybody in my neighborhood and everybody in my school. And I'm going to tell everyone in Champaign about it. And I'm, you know, I'm going to work part-time on the weekends and I'm going to get up my fly around the world and tell everybody there. It's, it's this kind of passion that gets ignited in the life of a student. But what we worry about sometimes And the first thing that we tell students who make a decision to come to Christ is we've got to figure out how to help you get some of the foundation to support all that excitement that's in your life. We've got to figure out a way to help that root grow down as well as grow out. We've got to help you become like the soil that will sustain growth. Okay, and unfortunately the soil's just not always deep enough and we see that withering away happen. Now, when I was in college, I heard about a church, a student ministry, that when they would have, the way they would address this is when they would have kids come in and say, okay, I've, God's really given me a song that I want to sing in front of all my friends, or I really want to play electric guitar in the band, or I want to, I want to preach, or I want to do whatever. And they would say, well, you know, that's great, and, and we can always use people help in that area. What we really need right now is we need somebody to help us set up chairs. So for the next month, could you come a half an hour early to our service and help us set up chairs? And what they would do is they would watch that student's life. Do they show up faithfully and on time every week? Are they ready to serve? Do they grab other friends in to help them and do things like that? Or if they don't get the ability to be on stage, is there really a foundation there at all? Do they want to serve if they can't be in front of people? Well, Jesus moves on and he says this. The one who received... The seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Now remember, no farmer intentionally plants among thorns. Probably a better description of the word play that Matthew is trying to use here is two kinds of seed that are growing side by side, and they are, they are trying as hard as they can to get the nutrients and the water and everything else they need out of the soil. And the question is, which seed is going to be able to win out and grow up? I'll tell you what, I think that's a great illustration for us in our lives today. Because we have so many opportunities for God to plant good seed in our hearts. You know, we have a great place to come on Sunday mornings, and we have small groups, and we have classes we go to, and there are podcasts we can listen to. There are all kinds of things where God can be planting really good seed into our hearts. But we all have another kind of seed trying to grow, too, don't we? We have seeds of worry, seeds of busyness, seeds of compromise trying to grow. And I hear all the time people talk about what are the threats to the church of today and the church of tomorrow. And people will talk about, well, I think it's, it's tolerance. That's the threat to the church. Or I think it's legalism. That's the threat to the church. Or it's Democrats or it's Republicans or it's whatever. I think those are the threats to the church. And I have to tell you, I don't, I don't buy into that at all. 
I think the single greatest threat to the church of today and the church of tomorrow is the small compromises that you and I make in our daily lives. The choices that we make every day to allow the bad seed to grow in our hearts instead of of nurturing the good seed that God has planted. That's what threatens our lives and that's what threatens our church. Well, Jesus says this and, and he's talking about all of those things that threaten our attention, all of those things that compete for our attention. I have to tell you, I had... Um, up until about a year ago, I had a PDA phone. And I finally got to the point where I just said, I've got to get rid of this thing. I can't have this around. And probably at some point in the future, uh, I'll get one again because I've seen having calendar and contacts on the go when we travel on trips and things like that is a good idea. But I learned something about myself having a PDA phone. I found out that I cannot ever, ever, ever again have email on the go all the time. I found that email for me, it, it's, like, it's like crack cocaine or something like that. I mean, it, it is just something that I'm constantly, I'm thinking about it. I'm wanting to check my email. I'm wanting to see if something new came in. I'm wanting to reply to it, all this stuff. I'm, I know my personality well enough to know. I'm, I'm pretty driven and I'm a connection junkie and I, I check my email. I do all those things too much anyway. And I found for me that having email with me all the time, 24 hours a day, creates so much noise in my life that sometimes I can barely hear God's voice. I wonder what it is for you. I wonder what it is that that calls so loudly for your attention in your life that you can barely hear the voice of God trying to compete with that. And God's not going to push it all out. We need to be the ones that push the rest of it out. His voice is the thing that hasn't changed in our lives. You know, it's, it's amazing sometimes how you see this lived out, too. We had a couple of girls that we were really, really close to in the student ministry we used to serve in. And in fact, they came out last summer to see us. And these two girls spent a week with us. And, and we were talking through all kinds of things. It was just a great, great visit. And we talked through what was going on in their lives and what was going on in the church. And of course, they were having those inevitable things. You know, the new youth minister does things differently than you do. And he does this a different way and he talks differently about that. And I'm sure it's the exact same thing that happened when I came here. You know, it's just that kind of personality thing. And we were giving them some advice. Saying, okay, well, the way that, the way that you work through this is you get involved serving. And you take on leadership and you serve alongside this person. And I bet slowly but surely you're going to develop a relationship with them just like we have had. Well, these two girls went back just on fire. And one of the girls got involved in student ministry, started mentoring some younger girls in the group, took on leadership roles. And and in a couple weeks, she's going to come out and go to Lincoln Christian College and pursue a degree in youth ministry. The other girl went back and about a week later met a dumb boy and, uh, and the rest is history in her life. And because of a slow and steady set of compromises with partying and purity and all kinds of other things, that good seed that had been planted in her heart wasn't able to grow. There were too many other seeds in there competing for the soil and it wasn't able to take root. Well, Jesus finishes up by saying this. He says, But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times 
what was sown. Now, it's important to note, a typical Palestinian field produced about a crop of five to ten times what was sown. So for Jesus to say a crop of a hundred times, it's kind of like last week, the, the uh, camel through the eye of a needle that we talked about last week. It's not, it's not difficult for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It is impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Just like for Jesus saying this, for a field to produce something like that is not difficult. It is impossible unless one submits his heart to God. And in Hebrew culture, to hear implies obedience, all right? So there's not just something where, you know, we hear messages all day long through commercials and what we listen to on the radio and music and TV and everything else, okay? We hear a ton of messages. When Jesus says to hear, he intends that you are going to imply what you have heard. There was a lesson um, in the CIY, or there was an illustration in one of the lessons that we had at CIY a couple weeks ago, and I think this is an incredible story. I want to read it for you. It says this, a young missionary to Iraq named Justin tells the story of the first Iraqi men he saw come to Christ. The four men accepted Jesus through a Bible study with Justin, determined that they needed to be baptized in order to fully obey Jesus. Justin explained that baptism is where we die to ourselves and raise out of the water into a new life to follow Jesus. The only problem is that being baptized in Iraq can get you killed. Justin said that he found himself sitting in a room with four Iraqi guys who said, we have to be baptized because we want to be perfect in our following of Jesus, and we must die to ourselves. And if we get caught, we will be killed. Our baptism might be the first and last thing we do as Christians. So when we come out of the water, we are dead men either way. Later that night, the five of them snuck into a hotel pool at 3 a.m., and four bold Iraqi Christians were baptized. Over a year later, when Justin went back to visit them, he found there were not four, but ten Christians. They had won six other Iraqis to Christ, including one Muslim mosque leader called a sheik. If the good news can spread like that, in a country where you can be killed for your faith, how much more should it spread in our lives? In our community, in our neighborhoods, everywhere else, how much more should it spread in a place where we have the freedom to talk about whatever we want to talk about? I think there are two questions today that this parable forces us to answer in our own lives. The first is, how's the soil in your heart? Okay, how is the soil in your heart? Is the soil in your heart like the hard soil over here? I know we've had times like that in our own lives. Certainly, I've talked about this before, but certainly when we moved from Colorado to Champaign, and we were waiting and waiting and waiting for our house to sell and trying to figure out and saying, God, we have, we have followed you. We have done what we were sure you asked us to do. Why is this detail not being taken care of? And I get to have enough conversations with people here that I know a lot of us are struggling with those very same issues. God, it seems like I am doing what you've asked me to do. I am following you with my life. Why is this going on? And what happens is our hearts become so hardened sometimes that we are not willing to accept the messages that God is giving us. We're not willing to accept the seed that he's trying to plant in our hearts. Maybe the this, this, this soil in your heart is like the shallow soil in the rocky places. You know, I have to constantly remind ourselves, myself that I'm never going to take people deeper than I'm going myself. I think that's very true of you in your relationship with your kids. 
people in your small group, classes that you get to be a part of, you will never take people deeper than you are going yourself. Maybe for you, the soil in your heart is like the thorn area where it's trying to spring up, but there are so many other things competing for attention and competing for the ability to grow that the seeds God's planted in your heart simply are not growing up. I don't know what this summer has been like for you. Uh, Maybe this has been the best, most relaxing summer you've ever had. Maybe you've had nothing going on. You're excited that the summer summer is coming to a close because you're finally going to get to have some things happening in your life. Or maybe your summer's been a little bit more like mine where you remember that there was Memorial Day at some point and you know that at some point in the future, Labor Day is going to come and you don't really know what happened in the months that span that gap. And what I find is that when I'm in the midst of busyness like that and I'm making priorities all the time, soul care, taking care of my own relationship with God, my own inner life seems to keep ticking away lower and lower on the priority list for me. How's the soil in your heart? Or what's it going to take for you to become like the good soil that produces a crop a hundred times what was sown, that takes that message out and tells others about it? What is it going to take for you? How is the soil in your heart? The other question is, are you planting seeds? See, I'm stoked this fall we're going to do a series called Conversations. And we're going to do that throughout September and October. And I think it is going to be an incredible series for our church. What I know is it's going to be an incredible series in my own life. Because I'm really good at talking about a lot of other things. You know, for the last three weeks, if you wanted to talk about the Brett Favre saga of where's he going to go, you know, who's he going to end up with, is he coming back at all, all that stuff, I would have loved to have talked about that. You know, if you want to complain about cell phone coverage and champagne or you want to talk about the latest Apple product that's coming out, I'm really good at talking about those things. But when it comes to the thing that should matter most to me more than anything else in my life, sometimes I just absolutely stink at telling other people about it. And I, for one, can't wait for this series in the fall to be encouraged and equipped and reminded. We're going to do the series in here. We're going to do it in children's ministry and student ministry all across the board. But let me say this. We cannot wait. We cannot afford to wait until we are challenged in September or October to begin having conversations with people. It is time for you now to go out and start planting seeds. It is time now to go out and start having conversations Okay, and maybe you come up with all the lame excuses that I do. You know, well, I don't know if they'll be receptive. I don't know if they'll listen. It could be really embarrassing. They could think I'm an idiot from now on. Whatever. Understand something. This isn't the parable of the wise farmer who only planted seed in good soil that he knew would produce a huge crop. Okay? This is the, this is the parable of the sower who went out and planted seed in the field God gave him. Or think about it this way. Okay? If people were only willing to plant seed in soil they knew was going to grow up, would anybody have told you? Because I look back at my teenage years, and I'm not so sure if they were trying to bet on the winner, the person who would really take it seriously. I'm not sure anybody would have wasted their time telling me about it. We have the responsibility that God has given us to go out and to plant seed in whatever field he's put us in. You know who it is in your life that needs to hear. 
You know who it is in your family, your work, your neighborhood, your school, wherever it is. You know the people who need to hear the message of God. You know where you need to plant seeds. The question is, will you? God has not called us to a life of soil testing. God has called us to be fruitful where he has put us. And remember, a good farmer doesn't plant a field and then walk away. Good farmer, a good farmer doesn't drop a Bible track down and walk out. A good farmer plants a seed, waters that seed whenever he gets the opportunity, does anything he can to create the kind of environment where that seed can grow, and then leaves the rest up to God. Would you pray with me? God, give us the boldness that it will take. Give us the boldness it will take to tell our world about you. God, you have uniquely placed each of us in different careers, in different areas, in different neighborhoods around this community and other communities so that we will tell people about the hope that we have found in you. God, we know sometimes we pray for things like opportunities. But God, we know the opportunities are all around us. What we pray for now is the boldness to make the most of those opportunities. God, we pray that you would prick our hearts for those who don't know you. We pray that you would help us to cultivate the soil in our own hearts. And that, God, you you would convict us to go and plant seeds in the lives of people around God is in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.